Hello and welcome to a very special dispatch from Scientific Canada. I'm your host, Adam Fortas. Soon the Canadian Science Policy Conference will begin, but before it does, we've got a handful of pre-conference panels and sessions to wet our whistles, so to speak. I'll be doing my best to provide some coverage of the sessions as they come. I'm predicting that I will get overwhelmed at some point in the next two weeks, so don't expect a nightly debrief, but I'll do my best to get these out as quickly as I can. I'll be taking notes and recording audio so you can access this stuff however you find most comfortable. The audio is also going to be uploaded to YouTube in case you're looking for captioning. If there are any other ways that I can make these more accessible, just let me know and I'll do my best to accommodate. Okay, but before we dig in, I just want to take a second to say that this podcast is brought to you by scientificcanada.ca. The goal of Scientific Canada is to get real science to real people, which we do by producing hopefully entertaining and hopefully informative content about research, academia, and just general curious nerd stuff. big part of our thing is finding and promoting new projects and new voices with some financial support and some expertise. So if you have an idea for a project, we'd love to hear from you. You can head to scientificcanada.ca to see some of the shows and articles we've helped with. And if you want to discuss details, find me on Twitter at Adam, F-O-R-T-A-I-S, or email me at fortisadam at gmail.com. Support for our projects comes from our very generous and very, very smart Patreon subscribers. Find out more about how you can help us with our next projects over at patreon.com slash Thanks! In 2019, a federal budget item was announced, and $134 million was set aside for what is considered the first ever Food Policy for Canada group. Qualitatively, income disparity and unequal access to affordable, healthful food is a fundamental problem Canadians face. Multiple government departments play a part in ensuring Canadians have access to good food, and this is because it's a complicated issue. A lot of people have to be involved. But getting a bunch of separate departments to work efficiently towards a big, giant goal like this is, you know, I would imagine pretty difficult. So that's what the argument for creating the Food Policy for Canada uh, initiative was. In this first pre-conference session at the Canadian Science Policy Conference 2021, uh, we heard a panel discussion with five members of the Canadian Food Policy Advisory Council, who more or less introduced us to the Food Policy for Canada and presented their opinions on key priorities for the new government and reflected on barriers that need to be overcome. Session was organized by the University of Guelph and moderated by University of Guelph's Malcolm Campbell. His background is in plant genome biology, except it wasn't actually, it was moderated by Evan Fraser. So if you head to scientificcanada.ca, I do a little rundown of the people on the panel, but very briefly, I will say that we had Sylvie Coutier, a CEO of Quebec Food Processing Council, we had Evan Fraser, Senior Management and at the Aral Food Institute at the University of Guelph. We had Joseph LeBlanc, Associate Dean of Equity and Inclusion at Northern Ontario School of Medicine. Mr. Connor Williamson, scientist and researcher and member of the Canadian Food Policy Advisory Council. And Executive Director, Food Secure Canada, Giselle Yasmin. So there were a few technical hiccups here and there. We weren't able to hear from everybody, but the session was essentially 
getting to know some of the members of the Food Policy for Canada team, what their group's goals are, and their philosophies and initial thoughts on how to achieve these goals. But before getting into specifics, let me tell you some things about the Food Policy for Canada taken from their website. Food systems, including the way food is produced, processed, distributed, consumed, and disposed of, have direct impacts on the lives of Canadians. Food systems are interconnected and are integral to the well-being of communities, including northern and indigenous communities, public health, environmental sustainability, and the strength of the economy. All orders of government, including many federal departments, have taken actions to address food systems issues, for example, through income support programs, policies to improve food environments and support healthier choices, initiatives to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, investments in innovation to increase agriculture and food sectors capacity. But despite this wide range of actions being taken, issues still exist in the Canadian food system. For example, around 1 million Canadian households are not able to access healthy food, almost 2 in 3 Canadian adults are overweight or obese, and about one-third of food produced in Canada is wasted. These important societal changes require a multifaceted solution. All right, so introductions. The first round of discussion focused on the point of the policy group. Giselle talked about previous examples of similar initiatives dating all the way back to the 70s. And while all of these initiatives were different, they had one thing in common. It was the idea of a unified force addressing food issues across multiple sectors of government. She also made it clear that an effective group needs appropriate representation and actual teeth. She expressed concern that these types of initiatives run the risk of turning into think tanks with no real ability to enact change. And uh, my notes say that she used this term. I don't know if she actually, I'd have to check my my audio notes, but at some point said decorative multi-stakeholder window dressing. Not necessarily all in that line, but those are some of the descriptions for what she doesn't want this group to be. I loved it. She's cautiously optimistic. Connor added to the discussion, uh, speaking on representation, drawing from the difficulties that the LGBTQ community has with finding space in these sorts of discussions. He also made a point to mention that, yes, he is speaking from one specific marginalized community, but similar principles apply to other communities. Of course, the specifics are going to differ, but the sentiment of bringing everyone to the table, so to speak, is an extremely high priority. Sylvie spoke to the links all along the processing chain. The food policy was made to guide decisions and address the linkages within the system. Diverse perspectives to oversee the implementation are required. We need to build consensus, identify gaps along the processing chain, build trust between stakeholders, and you know, the policy could help with these, uh, these links in collaborating. Joseph also made the point that including everyone means understanding that not everyone is able to volunteer time to these projects. It's a known problem that marginalized groups are implicitly excluded when committees and groups demand participants give up productivity in other areas of their lives in order to have a voice. It's just not fair. The next topic I want to mention is uh, their discussion on granular versus holistic approaches. Now, an important part of the discussion um, was on this, but basically the food policy is a huge topic. It affects everyone, and there are so many areas of government that have connections to it. So a natural question is, how should we approach fixing these problems? 
taking small chunks one at a time and letting different areas of government solve things in their own way? Or is there merit to a unified approach between different agencies? And what does that look like? Giselle explained that there are international examples that seem to work. Uh, one example that she brought up was in uh, Korea. Uh, they have a, a school food program that is a collaborative effort across different sections of government. Uh, so, you know, solutions aren't going to come from one specific department. We can't just, you know, create a single department to solve all these problems. Um, but a lot of these departments need to sort of join together and, you know, share notes and work together. I'm personally not well versed in this, but apparently the way the government has approached housing could be, you know, good inspiration for how to make this policy group work. It needs to be a holistic. It needs to be a holistic approach, because it's not just a tech problem or a, so a social problem. It's all of these things. I got the sense that Sylvie was pushing back a little bit on that sentiment, but I don't think she was disagreeing. I think she just was emphasizing that approaching things in a too zoomed out way aren't isn't going to work. Things are very complicated, and it's just going to make things harder to uh, to solve in in that sense. She definitely did not disagree with the holistic idea, but, you know, it's something to be to be aware of. I kind of want to wrap up this uh, this little dispatch with uh, one of the discussions that really struck me. Uh, it was talking about rights-based approaches. So I wanted to focus on this discussion because, you know, it was new to me. It's uh, an idea I haven't come up against before, but it makes a ton of sense. Uh, so my understanding after the session is that a rights-based approach gives priority to interests tied to the rights of people over stakeholders. So this might sound obvious when I, you know, dig into it and start describing it, but I mean, here it goes. So Joseph explained that there's a requirement to prioritize the rights of indigenous communities over economic contractors in you know the way Canada works. That's something that is part of how we're supposed to be making decisions as a government. This doesn't mean it's to the exclusion of industry. Like we we should still think about industry and their interests. But uh, he he brought up an example of Northern Ontario in general. Northern Ontario is kind of like one big forestry and mining community. These towns they're very small. They're about an hour apart. Um, but these are traditional territories too. These aren't just, you know, outposts for, 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 uh, pulling resources. Uh, so rights holders should be considered first and then stakeholders. For example, you know, food, having access to food or water and just living in these areas should be considered first before exploiting the, the natural bounties. He also made mention that you know, there's two sort of distinct systems going on. Natural resource management, which is generally a provincial issue, and uh, indigenous rights, which is generally a federal issue. So, you know, both of these these areas of government have to get on the same page with bumping up um, rights-based approaches in, in terms of uh, priorities. Now, related to this was a audience question was asked via text and it's re it read, a significant barrier to integrated resource management, example food, water, natural resources, is the division of responsibility between the federal and provincial governments as outlined in the Constitution. 
For example, this is especially relevant for agricultural water use as rivers water sources between jurisdictions. How can we overcome this barrier in targeting systemic changes to improve food security? Uh, again, Joseph took the lead on this one and meant, you know brought up that you know it's a unique Canadian challenge. You know, there's water, there's land, there's navigable waters, there's local rivers. These are all the same bodies of water in theory, but they're all compartmentalized in a, a, a colonizer's sort of perspective. And that doesn't really make sense. You know, a lot of these, you know, government institutions and things are, are developed with the mindset of an outsider coming in, divvying up uh, areas with the interest of extraction, resource extraction. What we should really be considering is what does indigenous policy look like? And he emphasized that in this context, what he means by indigenous is, you know, policy that is emergent from a place. So what would that kind of government look like? One that, you know, was developed by the people who live in this area, for the people who live in this area, to help these people thrive. It doesn't have to be indigenous people specifically, but, you know, a lot of the infrastructure was built on the idea, like a colonial, colonialized ideal. So, you know, what would things look like if we built them from the ground up with people in mind? And uh, Giselle kind of put the a cherry on the, the cake with uh, an old joke that it's, you know, easier to trade internationally than between provinces. And I feel like that kind of summarizes a lot of the, uh, the priorities of this, this policy group, this food policy group. So that is it for the audio recap today. Um, if you are interested in my raw, uh, unfiltered notes, you can head to scientificcanada.ca. I also have the transcript of what I uh, just told you. Um, it'll be up there as well, um, as well as a few links to various resources and, and things that were brought up. I couldn't mention everything that was discussed because, you know, we were in there for 90 minutes, but I tried to, to pull out some of the, the more interesting things from my perspective. So, like I said before, I'm going to try to do this as often as I can throughout the next two weeks. If you enjoyed it, you know, refer a friend, tune in, subscribe, do whatever you need to do to remind yourself to uh, check back. Thanks so much. My name's Adam Fortas, and have a good night. <laughs>